Welcome back to the Urbanized Podcast. My name is Wally Brown, uh, the CEO um, of Equity Urban. And today I have the pleasure and the honor of interviewing Miss Michelle DePass, a City of Portland employee and the recent chair of the Portland Public Schools School Board. Hello, Michelle. Hey, good afternoon, Wally. How are you doing today? I'm great. I am calling in from Southern California. Um, looking forward to get out in that real hot sun in a little bit and uh, looking forward to another couple days of rest um, at the tail end of a self-care retreat that was also content rich for School Board Partners, which is an organization whose mission is to fundamentally change the educational outcomes for kids of color in America. Mm-hmm. And I in doing so, cool. yeah, we, we, they create anti-racist school boards. And so I oh, just, wow. just coming off of a four day, three and a half day uh, retreat with fellows from around the country, including Atlanta, okay. Minneapolis, right. Chicago, LA, San Francisco. And so, yeah, I'm feeling very energized and rested at the same time. Okay. That was great. And for our audience, I'm, I'm based in Portland, but today I'm in Atlanta. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Shout out Atlanta, 678-404. So what does, I guess, so what does is, what is an anti-racism, an anti-racist uh, school board policy, what does that, what does that kind of sound like, look like? Well, so we know pretty much that schools um, and education policy has been developed around uh, providing access for white students in this country and uh, putting up barriers for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that in the way s- where, where schools are located in neighborhoods. We see that in uh, teaching staff that is hired and their promotion and retention rates. We see that in test outcomes and achievement outcomes. Um, there's quite a disparity in in all school districts between the test scores of white kids and the test scores of children of color. Mm -hmm. Um, So what anti-racist school policy looks like is policy that understands that, that is grounded in that foundation Mm -hmm. um, and and does something about it. Um, It does policy making not as usual. It does protocol and processes that are inclusive that understand the city, uh, the the districts, um, are, are, are America's kind of racist. The way we, the way Americans have shown up in education space has been definitely based on race, and we see the outcomes that are as well as based on race, predicted makes- by race. Oh, okay. Where like race is like an indicator of outcomes, and you're trying Absolutely. to decouple that. Yeah. Okay. That sounds that sounds very interesting. With that, I guess, um, would you say, wow? So is it kind of like a context-driven? It's a context-driven approach to uh, change policies based on data to specifically uh, to specifically uh, deconstruct or like reassemble, like deconstruct disparities in outcomes. Right. Well, we we want to. Oh. Yes, I I didn't hear the last part. So you're I'm talking so sorry. about deconstructing policies 
so so you said also data driven. We aim to be a data driven district in Portland. Uh-huh. We uh, have we have a, a district that is focused on racial equity and social justice. Okay. We have a board that is for the first time has uh, three out of seven board members are African American. Uh-huh. We have had um, African American school board members in the past. They've usually been the only on the board at a time. At, at one point, we've had two, but we've never had three African American um, elected board members at once. So mm-hmm. this represents kind of a historic moment. That's not to say that we're probably uh, we're all going to agree on everything, but that's to say that there is power in having some numbers on the board. And there, there's some power in having white school board members that are on this racial equity, you know, in tandem with the black school board members. That makes sense. And I guess with that, what, what do you see, like, as a school board member and as a school board chair, what do you see, like, the role of, like, a school board is and like, in the ecosystem of education where you have principals and teachers and students and nurses? How do you fit in that big pie? Yeah, it's a great question. So we, you know, we're we're governors. We're not we're not concerned with operations. We are not superintendents and educators ourselves. What we do do, we have three very distinct um, tasks as board members. The very first and most important would be to hire and evaluate the performance of our superintendent. Mm-hmm. You asked about how this de- how we deconstruct policy, but one of the things we can do in our evaluation is we can understand how race has played out in America and the school systems, mm-hmm. and we can evaluate, we can set the superintendent's performance goals based on racial outcomes, based on closing mm-hmm. achievement gaps. Mm-hmm. In order to set a, a, a performance goal, you need to be able to have a conversation about race, Mm-hmm. An honest conversation. To be able to have that honest conversation, you need to have the language, the background, perhaps the lived experience, and the understanding about how race plays out in our system, and then have an honest conversation about how you want to see different outcomes. Mm. And so I would say that we have had a board without absent of leadership of color that are very nice people and mm-hmm. yet don't understand that if race is not talked about, it will not be measured. Yeah, that makes sense. We need to, we absolutely need to talk about, we need to pull the race card like all day, every day, 24, 7, 365, because mm-hmm. outcomes are predicted by race. Yeah. If they weren't, we would just go on and have a beautiful day and the birds would be singing and all that. Mm-hmm. But we have to know that um, outcomes are predictive by race. And so we need to talk about race when we're setting goals for the superintendent. The second mm-hmm. thing boards do is they um, they set education policy. So if you're a mm-hmm. board member and you started, you were elected and you ran on this, like I'm going to close the achievement gap between white kids and kids of color. How you do that is through developing educational policy mm-hmm. and, and understanding of the system. So that's the second thing we do. And then the third thing we do is we approve a budget. Mm-hmm. We're not budget analysts, but we are in charge of approving a budget. The budget comes to board members in this like thick Bible, 500 pages of just numbers and and data. Mm -hmm. And the school board members 
um, responsibility is to approve a budget and also to analyze that budget to make sure that that budget reflects our the performance goals we set out for the superintendent. For instance, if we know that there's an achievement gap and we've asked him to close that gap by five points in mm -hmm. this year, we need to look at the budget and find the places where we made investments in kids who didn't need it and we did not make investments in kids who did need it, mm -hmm. specifically by race. You know, we, we already know like racial, you know, at least in Portland, like we're racially residentially segregated. Uh -huh. And so that's reflected in the school populations, but we do have some schools that have higher income folks and we have schools that still serve primarily black and brown kids and they're in the same district. And if we are um, devoting resources to the kids that have everything and are taking international trips and not as much or more to kids that need help, we're not we're approving a budget, but we're not approving a budget that meets that that goal that we set out in, in the, at the beginning of the year that says, we want you to close this 5% gap. Maybe that means sending inner kitty sit school kids to China or to, or, or to Europe. And maybe the, 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 uh, the school in a, in a higher income area needs to raise funds from the parents to take the trip to Europe. Uh -huh. So it's where we, where you direct your budget. That makes sense. And you're kind of like establishing a baseline of like operation. We're establishing performance goals and we okay. want to assure that the budget reflects those goals. Okay. And, and if we have a goal of achieving, of closing the achievement gap, we actually mm -hmm. need to direct more of our general fund and more of our resources toward that closure. Uh -huh. And we need to assure that we do that. The district does that. The district that comes sense. up with the budget. We just, uh -huh. we look it over. Uh -huh. And you can like, do you suggest? So let's say after you look it over, they made the budget. Like, do you all revise it? Do you all have the power to revise? Do you have the power to make suggestions? You know? Yes. Okay. We have the power to question. We have the power to pull apart and analyze. And we have the power to change outcomes in that budget. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm wondering, so who kind of, and not like individual names, but like who, who are the people who help support the school board? Who are the people who kind of like connect the school board to the superintendent and, and so forth? Well, so we have a governing board of seven elected members and they're mm -hmm. each elected from a neighborhood, a, a, dis, a distinct neighborhood, but they're elected citywide. And so we serve all 50,000 students within our within our purview. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have a school administration. So there's two leaders, you know, there's a, a group of paid professionals that have an executive leadership team that manages the district, day-to-day -day mm -hmm. operations, finance operations. And then there's the governing board. It's not our job to do finance and operations. It's our job to oversee the, the, the performance of the superintendent. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, I have had a couple of, and, and we, and I really want to, I just have been the chair for, it'll be a week tomorrow. I um, want to be very mindful of not running the district because I'm, that's not where my area of expertise lies. Mm -hmm. We've hired somebody, a well-paid professional that knows his stuff, mm -hmm. um, but it is my job to be critical and, and, and to like keep my eye on performance. But we have, mm. so we don't, we do have a liaison. We have a, a board office that works for the district 
you know, in support of the district, but also supports um, individual board members and, and specifically the leadership team, which is okay. um, the chair and the vice chair. Ah, okay. Thank you so much. Let's see. Uh, what is your it's like connection? a test? I'm like, I didn't even know I knew that, but oh no, that's great. I think it's great. I like the idea of this podcast is to like kind of like take like dissect what's going on, like the different people, like basically represent the different people who are hidden in like a in a city in an area and just be like, hey, here's what they do. And so you're you're the first school board member. We've had urban planners on here. We've had like sewer people on here, not people who live in sewers, but like people who help manage sewers. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, so one of the things that I, I puzzle about around the school district is kind of tied to like democracy and voting and, um, you know, participation, civic mm -hmm. participation. And we, I feel like, I wish that there was a way, and you asked about how boards are supported. I wish mm. there was a way to have, for me to hire and be able to pay someone to support my communications work. Because mm -hmm. I feel like if black and brown Portlanders understood the disparate outcomes between their children and everyone else's, yeah, that we would have packed boardrooms every other week when we need. Uh, okay that I know people are stressed and tired and, and single parenting and working and working more than one job and trying to pay the bills. But we, I, I feel compelled to like, I don't know, I, I have been trying for a year to get my social media set up. I yeah. have not been successful, mm -hmm. hired people. Um, I, I want a way to communicate with, with the regular Portlander, the regular black and brown Portlander, I should say, that doesn't understand the connection between them showing up at a board meeting advocating for their kids uh. and, and, and how other families do it. Okay. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want to be a bridge to, like, I'm proximate to power right now. Mm -hmm. And I want to use that. I want to communicate out that, like, listen, you put me down for job reference. Yeah. Um, show up to these board meetings. This is the agenda. This is what we're talking about here. So let's 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 use the opportunity. Uh, I think we have we have a platform now on this podcast. So I'm going to try to pair. I'm not going to try to paraphrase. I'm going to try to. Well, I guess paraphrase. Like let's let's start because we can we can make a process map later. You know we love those. <laughs> we love a logic so model. We love a good logic model. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, let's say, let's try to conceptualize it in just words. All right, so let's say you have a board meeting where you're deciding on the budget. The people who come to the meeting, which is open to the public, can basically, in they can, when they speak, when they, let's say they have an issue that they want to have addressed, like, um, let's say there's lead contamination in a school, right? And they, they want, and they want change to happen. They want there to not be lead. And like one way to do that would be to put money in, in the coming year to like mitigate lead or change the pipes. They can come to a meeting before the budget is approved, speak on it at the, speak on it before the board chairs, 
or the school board people and just ask for that to be a line item in the budget? Is that kind of how they can influence policy? Yes. So the best way to influence the board would be to track the agendas. We meet every other Tuesday night at six would be to, I mean, in a perfect world, people would check on every Monday to see what's been posted for the Tuesday meeting. If there is something on that agenda that you think as a member of the public that is concerning to you, it would be a great time to sign up to testify. Please sign up to speak. Okay. And when we have 10 people signed up to testify about lead in schools or 50 people, that means something. Okay. Our job as board members is not to be the Michelle show. Our job is to be a conduit for the public to be able to have a representative on the decision-making body. That's democracy. That makes perfect sense. So, I mean, it really, it does kind of matter what I think, but really what it matters is who can I organize to show up to meetings, to advocate, like I'm just a conduit. Uh This is not the Michelle show. I don't even have the best ideas, but members of the community do. They know what's impacting their kids. Um, They know that lead, any environmental environmental issues like lead or asbestos um, are harmful for all children, but um, black and brown families, especially so because they might have less access to healthcare. That makes sense. And so, you know, and those are the people that are most impacted by the economy and the pandemic. And, you know, it's those folks that I want to reach. Everyone else knows how to reach us. I mean, if you talk to somebody up in the West Hills, they will call you on your school phone or email you on your school address and they know how to get in touch with people in power. But most people don't. Okay. A lot of privileged people will just look up how to get in contact with a school board member and they'll just do it. But I want to hear from everybody else that doesn't know how to look that up. Okay. So let's talk about that. Let's see. Where can they go to sign up to testify? So to sign up to testify, let me just give me just a moment to find um, our website is like many other public websites. It's it's not perfect. It's really hard to find information, but I can I can direct people to um, a search term. Portland Public Schools board meetings. Okay. There you'll have a splash page that has um, a, a contact name for the Board of Education and our board a senior manager. And there's a board calendar. On those calendars are where you find the meetings. And um, on that calendar link is where you'll also find, um, I'm sorry, there's a, there's a link below the calendar link that shows materials for board meetings and committee meetings. And that's, that's how people would look up to see what's on agenda ahead. Public um, meetings need to all be noticed. Mm -hmm. They need to be put out in the public. Um, We need to not hide things. And so that's where you'll find that information. I think that's wonderful. And I mean, if people are interested in reaching me, I also have a, um, I have an uh, email address that is mdpass. M-D-E, P as in Paul, A-S-S, like Sam Sam, at pps.net. Um, mm-hmm. I'm slow to respond on that because it's my, it's the third email I monitor, but I do, I do monitor um, comments on, yeah. on, on, on things that are germane to the agenda. Okay, let's do it. Uh, what I'll do for you as well is I'll, I'll, I'll find these links and I'll put them in the description of this episode. Excellent. 
Excellent. I think that's great. So I just, I got like this two last questions for you. Okay. You know? Yeah. So I'm wondering, um, I, I think it's actually three. It's three last questions. One's like a fun one. So let's see. Um, I'm wondering, like, I, I read this book called A Peculiar Paradise, and it's about like the history of Black people in Oregon, of course. Yes. And I'm wondering, and shout out to the Oregon Historical Society and the NAACP. Um, and Elizabeth, um, is it McLaughlin? I think it's McKagan. Elizabeth McKagan. I will drop her name in the chat. We will shout her out. <laughs> but yes, shout out to Elizabeth. I'm wondering, um, we're, I'm going to be working with Jay. We're going to try to get it back in print. It's been out of print. And so, and like now individual copies are like $900. So if we, if we could get it back into print, that could help make it oh, more accessible. Yeah. yeah. Very, very relevant right now. Um, I think I have one copy. At one point I had two copies. I had, I known it was going to be worth $900, you know, 10 years ago, <laughs> I would have kept on to it. I passed yeah. it on for free though. It's great. We'll, we'll see if we can democratize it, you know, increase the supply, bring the cost down. We can do that, you know. Um, but with that, I'm wondering, like with the history in Oregon, you had, or in Oregon and in Portland, Monoma County, like um, you had a history where in the past century, like black people could not like go to a lot of the schools where they are now, you know, and you're talking about an anti-racist approach. How do we reconcile that history with the common, with, with the current goals of anti-racism? Like how do we reconcile like at the same institutions and places where we had children who couldn't go and now we're trying to get them to achieve in these same places? How do you, how do you reconcile that as we and move forward? Well, that is, that is a really great question. So you asked about history and you talked a little bit about history and I want to share a little bit about the history of Portland. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So, and this is someone, so I was born in Albina, which is mm -hmm. what it used to be called Albina. The city of Albina has now been swallowed into Portland. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to talk about, so for 70 years, PPS's failing pattern of response towards the struggles of communities of color, especially Black and Native Americans, stems from institutional and cultural racism that continues to exacerbate the inequities we see in society today. Okay. And in fact, the origin story of Portland Public Schools is one of a district that viewed Black and Native um, children as burdens to educate. Okay. So one of the earliest instances of active exclusion by PPS occurred when William Brown, a resident of Portland in the 1860s, tried mm -hmm. to enroll his children in one of Portland's only two public elementary schools, launching what would be the first and only case of official segregation of Black children in Portland. Mm -hmm. After repeated attempts to enroll his children in PPS and being denied, Mr. Brown appealed to the Board of Education, including directors whose names that I'm not even going to talk about here. But again, his children were denied access. The school board explained that they resisted integrating schools by saying, if we admit them, then next year we'll have no money to run the schools. So in 1867, the Board of Education was afraid to provoke taxpayers and rouse their ire. And rather than risking the anger of PPS white parents, the school board eventually allocated $800 for a segregated school in downtown Portland, where they enrolled 26 black students, um, many of whom had attempted to attend one of the two public schools. Mm -hmm. um, and every year at the school board meetings, the school's existence was called into question until it was abolished in 1872, about 
10 years after it existed and 30 students were welcomed into an integrated PPS. So I say that to say the faces and the tactics have changed, but mm -hmm. the outcomes have not changed. And so mm -hmm. what we're doing is now um, we have a historic team. We have a board of directors for the first time in Portland that is 42.8% black. And it's more representative than ever of Portland's growing culturally and racially diverse student body. Mm -hmm. So what you asked about, like, how do we start to change things? We start to change things by elected members that look like the kids we represent. Mm -hmm. We, um, uh, you know, we, we um, examine our, we examine board policy and uh, and the but and the budget, and we align our racial equity values mm -hmm. to that budget. That budget is our moral document. If we indeed are of supportive of racial equity and and outcomes that aren't predicted by race, then you're going to start to see budgets that, that might make people upset. Yeah, uh, people that are uh, used to getting um, you know what they ask for and. Yeah, so so there's a there's some low hanging fruit in the district in the system, and there's other longer range things. But for now, me as an individual board member, I'm gonna get a certificate in education finance uh, in yeah. early 2022. So Ooh. I will know what I from Georgetown. Yeah. So I know what I'm looking at next year when I get that 500 pages of of budget. Congratulations! I think that's beautiful. And like, so now I told you we had three questions. So here's the second one, you know, and that you kind of, it's a beautiful segue into that, I guess, like, cause now you're over, you're kind of helping mold education or at least like set the foundation of it. So, you know, as you continue education, like what does education like look like to you? What does it mean to you? You know what I mean? Like education, public education yeah. is, is like, um, it's one of the reasons people move to this country. Yeah. It's for a free, equitable public education. And we have the ability and the tools and the resources to have strong education systems that are free to the public that serve all students. We know how to do it. We mm -hmm. haven't done it, but we know how to do it. And um, I, if, if I die trying, I will have died a good life. I care about our kids. I care about the people that'll be making my healthcare decisions when I'm an older person. <laughs> I want everyone to be educated. Um, it's, it's a human right and it's a value I hold dearly. Um, both of my parents are retired um, educators. Uh, my mother's a, and, and my grandmother was a retired educator uh, before she died. So education as a black person, as a person, as an immigrant uh, black person has been very, very important to my family. And uh, I mean, it's like a core value. Um, that's, that's one of the reasons, again, people people emigrate to this country is for the promise of the public education. So we need to deliver on that promise. Mm, I think that's great. For and, all and, students, not just yeah. students that are white, for yeah. all students, regardless of ability, race, religion, color, nationality, for all students. Yeah, that's great. We're gonna know DiGiorno. We're gonna deliver. So this is great. So I'm wondering, um, yeah, what is what is this is kind of a it's kind of like a curveball. What's your what's your favorite mode of transportation, Michelle? <laughs> My favorite mode of transportation. So if I'm gonna be honest, I just okay. bought a new car. Okay. I just traded from a hybrid to Ooh. a gas guzzler. 
Uh oh. Somewhat going against my values. However, right out. Okay. <laughs> as someone that was raised a vegan uh -huh. and in poverty okay. and has a background in energy efficiency and mm -hmm. didn't eat red meat for most of my life, I just started eating it like as a later into my adulthood. Mm -hmm. I feel like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm driving a gas guzzler because it'll get me to the places that I can't get with a, with a Prius. Ooh. Uh, so that would be my favorite. I love driving that car. I love being in the woods, driving it. But my second favorite is walk or bike. Mm -hmm. um, I have a really cool Dutchie, uh, eight speeds. I'm sorry. It's a 21 speed. Um, and wow. yeah, I live fairly close to downtown. I live, everything I can do is within a bicycle ride. Um, so that would be my favorite. I really love walking. Uh, neither grandparents, my Panamanian grandmother or my grandparents from the South, neither one of them owned a car. And yeah. so I just, I had that. And I'm the first grandchild on both sides. So I just oh. remember like good times walking with grandma and grandma. Yeah. I think that's great. Okay. And we and got I our last channel, question. I want to channel and put it out there okay. that I want to walk more and that will require scheduling differently than I have been, instead of doing stuff back to back, I need to um, just saying it out loud, want to schedule walking meetings at least once a day. I can see that. So. Um, That's healthy. Yes, I need to get healthier in that way. So, yeah. I think that's wonderful. And our last question is, if you could change one thing, one one thing about the world, if you could like wave a magic wand, you know, change one thing about the world or the systems of the world, you know, no questions asked, you get a, you get a free pass. What would you do? Uh, that is so, I would probably eradicate racism and classism. Okay. I would, I would envision a world where climate change is mitigated because we've solved for racism can't okay. do one without the other. We're not going to solve climate change if we keep exporting our plastics to developing countries. And, you know, we the way that we do business, the way we do capitalism right now, is uh -huh. not going to address, we can't address climate change through uh, capitalism. So I just, my dream is that everyone understands the through line between slavery, capitalism, and climate change. And we start uh -huh. looking at those systems for, to solve our biggest problems. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's that's wonderful. I like it. That sounds and like I, a and, and I have a vision for that. I, I think um, oh. we have a dearth of leadership that can express, like, I have a vision where, you know, we're not looking at rising oceans. Mm -hmm. We're not experiencing 115 degree weather. Mm -hmm. We build communities that everyone's allowed to be prosperous in and healthy. Mm -hmm. We, um, you know, we stopped this downward trend we have in this country. Like we're, we've gone backwards in some ways in terms of, you look at what other cities are doing in terms of just access to healthcare. Yeah. You are, the housing crisis, those folks don't have ha access and have not had access to healthcare. How different would our streets look if we had a stronger safety net? So there's so many problems out there, but really I think, I think capitalism climate change, I think racism, I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to draw a through line between those and and solve at those systems levels. Yeah, well, let's do it. I think, I mean, we got, 
I think we could probably do that by Friday, you think? You know, with your help, I bet we could. <laughs> I just, I really want to appreciate you in the moment too, Wally, just for how you've shown up. Like you're so amazing in so many different ways. And so I really appreciate the invite and I really just appreciate your, you have a nice, a nice vibe. A Thank really you. chill vibe. Yeah. And um, I, I just really appreciate sitting with you today. Thank you. I appreciate it. I always love it when we interact. Thank you so much for coming on. I know you're a very, you're busy, very busy person, very important person. So I'm so glad you made time for this little old podcast, a little old me. And I hope our listeners love this. I, I greatly appreciate it. I, I always, I love when we interact. So thanks so much. You're like, you're my, you're my third mom out there. Oh, I'm so <laughs> grateful. Good. I know. I feel like I need to feed you. Um, that's awesome. I, I will feed you one day. I don't, I don't even know what you eat or don't eat, but I'd you love know. to do some porch sitting with you. I have a great porch to sit on. We will do that. Let's do and that. Vegan food, like any style could, could be had. Let's do it. Let's All do right. it. All right. Well, thank you. So once again, this has been Michelle the past. Um, chair of the school board, uh, loving mother, great person, anti-racist. So, <laughs> anti-racist yeah. warrior. Let's do this. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Wally. Yeah, thank you. So we're wishing you a wonderful day, and uh, yeah, cool weather. We'll see you soon. Excellent. See you soon. Bye bye. All right. Bye.